The Institute of Art and Ideas is excited to announce Closer to Truth as an official partner for our upcoming How the Light Gets In Festival at Hey on Why, happening this year, May 24th to 27th. Closer to Truth examines humanity's deepest questions with the world's greatest thinkers, from Nobel laureates and renowned scientists to theologians and best-selling authors. For 20 years, Closer to Truth has explored the deep questions of cosmos, consciousness, and meaning. This year, host Robert Lawrence Kuhn journeys to new depths with their philosophy of biology season, exploring topics like evolution, race, alien intelligences, sex and gender, and much more. Get early access to full episodes from this brand new season by registering for a free membership at their website, closertotruth.com. Discover the fundamental issues of existence, engage new and diverse ways of thinking, and seek out your own answers with Closer to Truth. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Philosophy for Our Times, bringing you the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas. I'm Ricky, head of the editorial team here at the IAI. And I'm Harry, a member of the editorial team at the IAI. Today we've got Anonymity, the Dream and the Nightmare, featuring founder of Clean Up the Internet, Stefan Kinsella, Demos researcher, Victoria Baines, and barrister, Hugh Tomlinson. This took place in 2022 at the How Light Gets In Festival in Hay, the philosophy and music festival produced by the team here at the IAI. So Harry, tell us a little bit about this debate. This debate is going to explore whether anonymity is a concept that can be used in modern society. It's going to explore our questions about whether a social media company should force people to put their name on their accounts, or um, even whether anonymity is the most crucial safeguard to a free and fair internet. Yeah, this is a difficult one to know what to think about. I think there's clear harms of anonymity, people abusing people online, committing crimes online and kind of getting away with it. But then anonymity has quite clear uh, benefits as well. You're kind of free from government coercion, particularly in kind of countries with more authoritarian leaders. Anonymity is crucial to kind of starting movements online. And obviously at the start of Twitter, we saw quite a lot of that, maybe not so so much anymore. Yeah, definitely. Looked at the start of the Hong Kong protests, a lot of them were predicated upon having anonymity from the Chinese government. And so forcing everyone on Facebook to have their own face and own name on it might prevent these sort of democratic reforms that we appear to want. And remember, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe on your platform of choice and visit iai.tv for hundreds more podcasts, videos and articles from the world's leading thinkers. Let's now hand over to our host for this debate, Manveen Rana. Thank you. Anonymity was the gift that was going to give everyone a voice, free from the oversight of institutions and government control. And yet critics claim that the dream has now turned into a nightmare. For the anonymous world turns out to be one that's full of abuse, division, and wild conspiracy theories. And in addition, many contend that the dark side of the anonymous web has infected real world personal and public life, undermining social cohesion, communication, and well-being. So is it essential that we end anonymity now if we're to arrest the growing tensions in our culture? Are the financial benefits of anonymity to the web giants so great and the short-term pleasures it offers so addictive that 
that wouldn't now be possible to achieve. Are we, as a result, snared in a downward spiral from which there is no escape? Or can we find a return to the original dream? Those are the questions we're going to be looking at in the course of the next hour or so. Um, but just to get a sense of where the panel is at the start of this discussion, I'm going to invite each of them to tell you a bit about it. But we're joined by a, a brilliant panel to discuss this, people who are at the forefront of thinking about this in the country, really. Uh, we're joined by Stephen Kinsella, who is the founder of Clean Up the Internet. He's a competition lawyer with a, a long-standing interest in human rights, digital technology and democracy. We're also joined by Victoria Baines, who is part of the organization Demos. Her interests cover content moderation, digital labor, datification, and blockchain technologies. And finally, we're joined by Hugh Tomlinson, who is a barrister who's famed for his role in the UK's parliamentary expenses scandal, and in the News of the World phone hacking case, and most recently in the Wagatha Christie trial. Um, so I'd like to start just by asking, should we end online anonymity? Uh, and beginning with Victoria. So at Demos, the question that we're always asking ourselves and asking other people is, what does a good internet look like? What is an internet that we actually want to live in and spend our time in? And for me, that's an internet that can help whistleblowers, who can shed light on human rights abuses. And it's also an internet that can offer refuge and support to vulnerable people. And therefore, for me, a good internet is an internet that has spaces where we can be anonymous. And anonymity itself right, is actually more of a complex subject than just you know, someone with their dark hood up, sitting in a super encrypted space, running their Russian troll farm, setting out never to be found. We can be anonymous in different ways, and we should always be thinking about who exactly are we being anonymous from? Are we being anonymous from both other users in the platform? Does the platform know who we are, but we call ourselves Marmite Lover, and no one else knows? Or perhaps we use a fake email with the platform, but we always call ourselves Marmite Lover across every social media we're on, and other users actually have a pretty good sense of who we are. Anonymity also isn't the same as privacy. They can go hand in hand, but they are actually, I think, separate concepts. So anonymity is about the extent to which we can tie a person online to a real identity in the real world. Whereas privacy is about how much of our behavior other people can see and other people can have access to. And it's the fact that these two aren't the same, which is what I think makes anonymity so powerful and so important and worth protecting. It's really important that whistleblowers keep their identity anonymous while revealing information that other people would rather keep private. And I'm going to pause on that because often when we're talking about things like anonymity, we sort of defending it. There's a trope of looking towards these really extreme cases that I think can feel quite divorced from our normal lives. Go, well, I'm probably never going to be a whistleblower. Why should I need access to anonymity? But I think it can be quite mundane. And I'm going to draw on two examples from my own life to show this. So my partner, she's a teacher and she's also a trans woman. And she provides a lot of support to other trans people online in anonymous forums. And she shares a lot of really intimate details about her life that would just be completely inappropriate for a student to Google her name and for that information to come up. Slightly more serious example being someone that I went to school with. He moved to the UK 
because of the violence that he experienced from his family when they found out he was gay. And so he always maintains two separate profiles on social media. One that his family and friends have access to where, they, where he is the good straight boy that they all wish that he would be. And he has his anonymous one, well, we know it's him and he can live openly as a gay man. And as soon as you accept that there are some vulnerable groups who really need access to anonymity, that without access to anonymity, there is no alternative. You know, there's, there's no equivalent to these anonymous spaces, they don't exist. Everyone has to have access. There's no point in which you put your hand up and you go, oh, I'm now part of a domestic, um, I'm now a victim of domestic violence, or I think I might be gay and I want to talk about this online, or I've got a mental health problem I don't want my boss to find out about. As soon as you accept that there are some people that have, have it, everyone has to have access to these spaces, which is pretty scary because we know how awful anonymous abuse can be. And I want, in my defense of anonymity, I don't want anyone to think that I underestimate the destructive, awful ways that people use anonymity. But I just don't think that taking away anonymity actually creates the internet that we want because people can abuse in their own name all the time. We see it happening already. And I think we should embrace the potential for anonymity to help us all in these really mundane ways. I think it makes us better individuals. I think it makes a better society. And fundamentally, I think it makes a better democracy. Thank you. Um, Hugh, where do you stand? Should we end online an anonymity? A lot of the things that Victoria says make complete sense, and it's very important that people should be able to privately communicate with their friends, with people who uh, they have similar concerns about and so on. But that's not what anonymity on the internet is about. Anonymity on the internet is about people who can communicate anonymously to the whole world. And if you communicate anonymously to the whole world, you can say things which attack people, which seriously damage their rights in circumstances where they have no redress. They can't do anything about it. And it seems to me that when we talk about freedom of expression, we've got to remember that, as the European Convention on Human Rights says, that with it, there, it carries rights and responsibilities. And the responsibilities that uh, uh, freedom of expression carries include the responsibility for what you say. You've got to be the people, if you write about someone, if you attack someone, they've got to have the opportunity to do something about it. And it seems to me that having anonymity in the way we have at the moment encourages irresponsibility. It there's no doubt at all that it encourages abuse, uh, the, the, the spreading of false news, of hate speech, and so on. Is that a price worth paying for the ability of some whistleblowers or marginalized communities to communicate? I don't think it is. I think in the end, if people are going to say things there's got about other people, those other people have got to have the opportunity to have redress. If you, it's about who's responsible for the communication. If I write an article in a newspaper or if I write a book, the newspaper is responsible for what is published if I'm writing anonymously. If the book publisher is responsible for what is published if I write anonymously. If I write anonymously on Twitter, Twitter has no responsibility for what I say. And if I'm anonymous, 
There's no way that anybody I write about can do anything about it. So I'm in a position where I can attack, I can be hateful, I can be abusive, and there is no remedy at all. And it seems to me that that's not a situation that we should uh, countenance. And for that reason, I think anonymity on, on the internet should indeed be brought to an end. Thank you. And Stephen? Thank Same you. question. Yeah, thank you. So as Manbeen said at the beginning, I used to be an EU antitrust lawyer. And for the last 15 years, I was mostly ad acting for or against the major tech platforms. And one of the things that inspired me to set up Clean Up the Internet nearly three years ago now is I grew increasingly concerned at the degradation in, in the level of discourse online and the amount of abuse, but also the amount of disinformation. And it seems to me it's problematic that the debate had become rather polarized between those, and I don't mean this pejoratively, but those you could refer to as the cyber libertarians for whom anonymity is such a fundamental human right that we won't accept any interference with it. And on the other hand, lots of vulnerable groups, but also increasingly politicians, of course, who are saying, no, that this has to come. We're, we're receiving so much abuse, it's getting in the way of our ability really to do our jobs. We can no longer sift out the stuff we need to see from all the nonsense, and so we have to end anonymity, which always seemed to me rather blunt. So, because in the real world, you know, there's a lot more nuance. After all, if we look at elections, for instance, we all accept, we understand that when we cast our vote, we're anonymous in doing that, and that's important. However, if somebody wants to communicate with us, so if the Conservative Party wants to put in a leaflet through our door, that has to be branded as coming from the party, because we're, we want to know where the message is coming from, and somebody needs to be responsible for it. And I was wrestling with this, so, you know, how do we get rid of the dirty bathwater but still save the baby. And we did some initial research when we first set up the Clean Up the Internet and we found, and we looked at the, um, the COVID 5G conspiracy, that seemed to us a good concrete example, and we found that a disproportionate amount of the disinformation around that was being spread and amplified by anonymous accounts. So how do we, how do we draw that dividing line? So it seemed to us that what we should do, and we, we flip it, let's not talk about banning stuff, but let's talk about rights. So the proposal we came up with is a three-stage one. We said, every one of us, first of all, should have the right to be verified. So I should be able to say to Twitter or Facebook, I want you to verify me. Also, that verified status should be visible to everybody. So we should be able to see everyone else is verified. And then thirdly, we should all be given the ability to decline to interact with unverified accounts as a category. So I should be able to switch them on or switch them off and say, I don't want to hear from them. I don't want them to free ride on my stream. I don't want them to interact with my followers. And we put this proposal to government about two years ago and it has been taken up. We, we got support from MPs from all of the major parties in the UK. And this proposal now is in the, the draft legislation in the online safety bill that's making its way through parliament. But it still needs to be explained and defended. Um, I'm sure it can be improved. It's the reason I'm delighted to join debates like this and really very open to all your questions and suggestions. On that, uh, I, th I think just going back to the basics of, of the debate, um, is anonymity, does it just automatically bring out the worst in us or is it possible that it gives us, it gives us a voice, it gives us the ability to say things we otherwise wouldn't? Well, obviously, I wouldn't disagree with Victoria that it definitely gives us a, vo a voice and allows people to explore all sorts of ideas and thoughts that they would feel uncomfortable doing so otherwise. But equally, and we, if we have cleaned up the internet, we have a website you can see. And one of the things we tried to do, because we accept that there's a whole lot of information out there, we've tried to pull together the literature on this, among other subjects. And what we have found is that there seems to be a very serious disinhibition effect 
of being anonymous. People, people find themselves expressing more extreme views and in a much more aggressive way than, than they would face to face or than they would if they didn't fear that they would be detected and held accountable for them. So I, I'm not saying it, it's inevitable, but we, we certainly see it. And the other concern I have is that it bleeds back into the real world. So we've worked quite a lot with Kick It Out who deal with racism in football. Interesting what we saw during the pandemic when the stadiums were closed, football was being played, of course, in front of empty stadia. Everyone was watching online. But when the crowds came back for the first time, we saw a level of racist abuse that we hadn't seen for quite a long time. And the concern, I think, is that behavior that's learned online and almost experimented with online then comes back into the real world. They feed off each other. Yes. Um, I mean, would you agree, even, even though anonymity does have its benefits, would you agree that it changes people's behavior fundamentally? It can I, bring out the worst in them. Yeah, it's undeniable that there are some people who use anonymity for just the worst ends and that it acts as a form of protection from our actions. But I also think the story is a little bit more complicated than it just being about anonymity. I think the way that we behave online is set by like a whole number of social norms. I mean, like you have places like 4chan, right? Where like it's completely anonymous and people are just absolutely awful to each other in a way that they would never be. But that's like, that is the norm on 4chan where we have other anonymous spaces like mental health forums where people like don't behave like that to each other. They're very supportive. So it can't just be anonymity always that's um, is, is, doing that. Is there a chance that, or, that also, well, it's not just anonymity that's mm. allowing it, but because it is allowing it in certain places, that becomes more the norm than it would in, in it, normal life. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, but I like, yes, even though there are social norms, I think there are other things that platforms can be doing. So like when you make an account, like you shouldn't be able to immediately tweet a footballer, whatever racist abuse you want to, just because you've created that account. You shouldn't be able to message anyone you want to, whatever vile abuse you want to. We need better enforcement of content moderation mechanisms by platforms. I think maybe also a greater sense of community investment, which is really hard on big platforms. And I think it's a real problem, but I'm not convinced yet that the trade-off of completely losing anonymity, and I have my issues with verification <laughs> that I'm sure will come up at some point. Um, yeah. But I think this story is just more complicated than it just being about anonymity. And what about Stephen's point that you know, because it changes people's behaviour mm. online, that does bleed into real life too. You know, you do have people who, in the past, would have thought it was completely inappropriate to shout abuse at people because they're so used to doing it on a daily basis. Because Twitter and other forums are getting so, or you know, are just getting so awkward and difficult, and you know, people feel more comfortable shouting abuse at people. Yeah, and again, I think is that changing real life? I, I think there is undeniably some knock-on effect to real life, but also like. There are other ideas that can be spread online, like sort of the amount of like anti-racism, anti-sexism work that can be done online as well. Like, yes, sort of we have this really negative implication, but I think sort of there are ways that people, that we have other ideas coming to the fore. And again, it's just coming back of like, if we lose anonymity, there is nowhere else online for vulnerable people that really need anonymity to go. Whereas people do abuse in their real names online. And like, we will still have abuse online, even if we, ended anonymity, whereas we wouldn't have these vulnerable things. I think we have to look to other mechanisms, other ways of creating more friction on uh, social media to stop people being able to interact and send abuse in these ways um, that don't just throw the kind of people that like should be our priority under the bus. Hugh, what, what do you make of that? I mean, is there something about us which will just automatically behave in the worst possible way the moment nobody's looking? 
Um, or are there benefits to anonymity that we shouldn't want to lose? Well, I think the research shows that people behave more badly when they're uh, able to do it uh, anonymously, and that kind of accords with common sense. I mean, uh, you know, you, if, if, if your name's at the bottom of it, uh, you think more carefully about what you write. Uh, um, if, if, if you can just fire something off, you know, and, and you know it's not going to come back to you, then uh, uh, the, the other things be equal, you're less likely to think about it and be responsible. I mean, I obviously I understand that there are certain benefits and traditionally there's been a, a view which you find in the law that, that anonymous speech is valuable and, and, and I think that that's right. The difficulty is, I mean, people talk about you know, the Arab Spring and how the value of uh, anonymous speech in, in that context, but the reality is the security agencies know who you are. I mean, the government, the, the, you're, not, you're not being anonymous from, from the, the, the people who really might want to be cracking down on your behavior. The people you're anonymous from are, the, are the, maybe the people you know that you're sending anonymous abuse to, and, and, they, and they have no way uh, of finding out. And, and there was a time 10 years ago when you could track anonymous accounts, but people have got wise to that, and now you can't. And from a, a legal perspective, you know, with, with anonymity, is there that thing that there are things you wouldn't do in public life, not only because, you know, they would contravene good manners and the way we all behave with each other, but also in real life, we'd count them as hate speech or you'd count them as, um, you know, actually going uh, breaking laws. And the moment you do it anonymously online, it's fine. Nobody, nobody's calling it out. You can't be called out. Called out. Well, you can, obviously, you, you can be called out and the platforms, uh, you know, do close down. I mean, they're getting much, much better at, clo close, at closing down. At closing down. But they, you're right, they can't hold you accountable. But the, the police can investigate. But, you know, using VPNs or whatever, you can, it's quite, it's quite easy to cloak, uh, uh, cloak your identity. And I mean, I've I've come across cases where you know quite sophisticated abusers set up um, attack sites where where they they completely you know, impossible to find out who they are, and 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 you can actually cause a hell of a lot of damage if you do it carefully and subtly. And, and they've done that, and you know there is no remedy. No way of holding accountable. Yeah, and just I mean. On the example, so 4chan, for instance, I, I, from the perspective of my campaign, I'm a bit less concerned about something like 4chan because it seems to me, you know, there are victims and volunteers. Those are people who, who they know what they're getting into. I'm more concerned about the likes of Facebook, Twitter, that those that are really our sort of virtual public square, the places that people are being driven out of because um, because of the abuse they get, and it seems unreasonable that they. So I think we should have a, a higher level of protection. And that's the, that's what the online safety bill is trying to do, is to get, you know give us a high level of protection for the for the major sites that we almost need to be on these days. And the other distinction is between we're talking about legal but harmful. Yeah. Here. So uh, some of the stuff we're talking about hate speech and that that is a crime. So that of course gets treated in a different way. What we're talking about more is bullying, harassment, disinformation, the stuff that we're never going to criminalise, but we nevertheless need to try to give us the tools. You mentioned friction. Yeah. Our proposal introduces friction. That's what it does. Just on the verification point, I'd be interested to know... Well, kind of uh, be before you, you, you do, uh, Stephen, could you just set out exactly how this verification model would work so that people understand if, if it comes into to action, how their lives would change? How, how would their, their use of the internet change? Yeah, I, I should say as a starting point, we're very concerned. We didn't, we didn't want verification to become another huge trove of data for the large platforms that they can use to, to, to monetize us and, and target us with advertising. So there are some very good third party 
verification solutions out there. And the, for instance, one company called OneID, they rely on the data you've already given to your bank. In the UK, 98% of us have, have online banking or access to it. We've already verified ourselves to them. So we're not looking for us all to have to, again, upload our passport or our driving license and give more data to the platforms. There are secure ways that you having done it once, you can then use the way you verified yourself to that third party provider. You can then use that to open your online account or your social media account. Are, are tech platforms keen on these systems though? I mean, are the financial benefits for them? Surprisingly not. No. no. <laughs> I mean, not, talk, talk not, us through, not so talk us through how the model uh, at the moment favours them and what, how they're profiting from anonymity. Well, uh, they profit in a number of ways. Obviously, they profit from anonymity because uh, abuse, toxic discussion, drives engagement, uh, keeps people on the site longer. That's one way. The other, of course, the fact that so many of the accounts out there are fake and, and you see, I mean, Elon Musk is concerned that Twitter might have more than 5% fake accounts. We think the figure is somewhere between 15 and 30%. People say it's, that's true of Facebook as well, but they are still selling those fake eyeballs to advertisers. So, and we don't know because we can't get access to the data. I mean, one of the things that the bill and other legislation wants to do is make these platforms at least give access to the data to researchers so that we can form a truer picture of what's really going on. But I think there are so many ways. After all, they could make these changes now. If they cared about the user experience as much as they do, or say they do, if they compared, cared about us as citizens as much as they say they do, they could introduce a lot of changes that would improve our lives online. Victoria, I mean, do, do you see that a system like verification would be um, acceptable. So yeah, on kind of verification specifically, um, I'm interested to know your perspective with the critique of verification that it risks potentially giving users a false sense of security and that unless platforms also have real name policies where you like you have proven to a platform that the name you were using on a website is exactly the same as the name that you verified yourself at, it's like unless platforms use those, which on the whole, they've tried to introduce, they don't work. They, again, it's like trans people who change their name, celebrities who want to have a private account and a different name, teachers who want to hide who they are. Like there are too many like groups who really legitimately just shouldn't be using their real names or whatever a real name is. Like, so unless it goes hand in hand with real name systems, doesn't it risk providing users a false sense of security that, oh, this person verified themselves, but like we don't actually know if the name that they verified to the platform is the name that they're showing us, that the pictures that they're showing the platform is the pictures that they're showing us. And the verification is just another thing that will, like it will also be abused. I think that, that that's a fair concern. I mean, I, ideally I'd like to see a cascade where right at the top, we verified not only your name, but your location. Also that we verified any claim you make about it. So if I look on Twitter, the number of people who claim to be ex-forces, I mean, how big was our army? All these ex-nurses, all these ex-vets, I mean, so, I would like to, but I could also imagine at a lower tier of protection, we say, well, all I, I just need to know you're a real person. I don't need to know who you are. I don't need to know the claims you make about yourselves are true. But at the top, yes, we would certainly say real name uh, as an option. Again, we're just talking about my right to say, I want to screen out very, I have a cascade of risk levels and I want to set my tolerance for risk in terms of who I'm willing to deal with. So, so this would be a system where users could decide that you don't just don't, don't want to engage with anyone who hasn't been fully verified, yeah. who you can't be sure is a real person. And you could turn it on or off. So you might have put something out that you know is going to get a bit of a backlash. You think, well, I'll, I'll dial it down. 
for a few weeks until that passes and then I'll... Every time you leave one of these talks. Just exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nobody who isn't verified can, yeah. can message you. Okay. I, with that, is there a risk that you kind of create like a kind of two tier of internet users? Because it's not actually a free choice about whether or not you verify yourself, right? Because the assumption is that if you haven't, like, like good people are going to verify themselves. Therefore, if you haven't verified yourself, like there's probably something dodgy going on. And like, even if you have concerns about like where your data is going, whether or not that's justified in the way that the system's set up, if you just have an issue with the principle of it, aren't you actually going to be kind of, isn't there a coercion happening there into verifying yourself? Everything has a risk of unintended consequences. One of the accounts that I like and follow is called The Secret Barrister, and the clue is in the name. Incredibly popular, has huge reach. Yeah. Um, Hugh, where do you stand on this system of verification? I think the problem is that the people like Stephen who are concerned about these issues, and perhaps many people in the audience would take advantage of the system, but it requires effort. And 80% of people aren't going to do it. And so you get a small number of clean, verified people communicating with each other. And then you get the rest of the world uh, uh, spewing out hate speech, disinformation, and so on as before. So the, the, the you know anything that requires people to to think, to engage, to to take positive steps is going to have a, a massive fallout rate inevitably. So actually, we did, we did polling with YouGov, and Compassion in Politics did polling through Opinion, and they found that eighty percent of people will do it. It actually no, no, is eighty percent of people said said they would do it. Yeah. <laughs> Often a different thing. Reveal um, preference, yeah. And, and Hugh, I mean, do you think the financial incentives for big tech companies are just so high that it's almost impossible now to, to reverse the situation, to, to end anonymity, which, which you'd like to see? Oh, the, the, the financial incentives for, I mean, I mean, I agree with everything that Stephen said. I mean, there's no doubt that anonymity is financially beneficial to the big tech companies, but the big tech companies do what they told. I mean, it, it's that they they can tweak their system in any any way they want. I mean, I I always tell people the story. I once had a case against Google where my client was being subject to all kinds of vile abuse, and and Google effectively said they could do nothing about it. Like, t technically impossible, they said. We said, you know, okay, we sued them. Case went on for six months. The week before the trial, they said, actually, you know, not only is it technically possible, but actually it won't cost us anything. <laughs> so, so, you know, they were able to do... Now, if you said to the tech companies, you have to do this, otherwise you can't operate in the UK, they would do it. So, yes, it's not in their financial interest, but in, in the end, it's, it, it's more in their financial interest to, to, to do it than uh, to not operate in the UK at all. Mm. Stephen, is there a danger, you know you've looked at this a lot, but is there a danger that if you do force these big tech companies to adopt this, if you do end anonymity as much as you can online, that you just force more and more people into effectively the dark web, into the less regulated versions of, of tech platforms? Uh, obviously, I mean, our, propo our proposal won't force anyone to do anything because we're again, we're focusing on rights. So we're simply saying, uh, yes, everyone will still have the right to be anonymous and they'll have the right to exercise their free speech anonymously. However, we're going to balance that. So they all have their free speech, but I'm going to have a right not to be shouted at. So 
we won't be driving anybody anywhere. I do agree with you on sort of the financial incentives for the platforms is a question, though equally, um, the UK is such a big digital market that it's going to be very hard. And we've, you know, how many times we heard companies and platforms say, well, if you change the rules in a way we don't like, we're going to leave. I mean, other than the, with the example of China, that doesn't really happen. There is another constituency, though, that also doesn't want change, that likes the status quo, and that's our press. Because they, in the online safety bill, have argued so far for a carve out, so that these rules shouldn't apply to them or to their websites from which increasingly they make a, a great deal of their money. So, I mean, just, just explain that to the yeah. audience, why, why the press would want slightly different rules. Well, the, the press always want different rules. I mean, yes. That's, you know, that, that's, As a journalist, I can vouch for that. Exactly. Um, they, uh, what's their real case? I, I suppose they again say it's free speech. They say uh, we as journalists ought to be able to, to you know, without fear or favour. Um, but they extend that to their websites. And of course, that wouldn't be such a problem if we had effective press regulation. I mean, most other industries, generally, if they, they can persuade the government to back off because they have you know, effective self-regulation. We don't in the case of the press. So it is a worry, but this is you know, this huge pushback, I should say, from MPs from all parties on this. And there's very, every opportunity for you all to add your voices if you're also concerned that we shouldn't allow the press to behave, carry on behaving in this way online and on their comments pages. Um. I mean, in a way, anonymity is one of those issues where you won't have the same problem with the press because I've never met a journalist who doesn't want a byline. Well, um, well <laughs> no, sorry, the trouble is not just the, it's the, it's the um, comment section. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so the bizarre thing is, is, is that the comment sections are going to be entirely unregulated. So, so as people have pointed out, if, if I have a Twitter account, which I don't, uh, 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 with, with five followers, I'm subject to Ofcom. Uh, the Daily Mail with 60 million yeah. uh, viewers is, is not regulated at all in relation to its comment. And the other thing is, sorry to go on about this, but the other thing is that the way that the government have defined the press, I can just set up a, something called the newspaper uh, 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 and I can publish anything I like and it's unregulated. Mm. Which is terrifying. Um, Victoria, do you, do you, if, accepting that um, tech companies won't want to make these changes because of financial incentives, I mean, is that something that you've found in your research? I mean, I kind of disagree with the premise of the question. Like, okay. I actually don't, I'm just not sure if actually anonymity is this like huge bottom line deal breaker for black platforms. Like, you have to, uh, uh, tech platforms, like, you have to remember, like, they're, they're advertising agencies. Like, they get money from being able to get as much of our behavior as they can, compile that into huge data sets, look for patterns and sell us ads based on that. And they can get that behavior from us whether or not we're anonymous, whether or not we're engaging with anonymous accounts, that kind of conversion, so like clicking on an advert and actually buying something comes from, which is where they make the money, is comes from trusting the platforms that you're on, kind of being relaxed, not being in a kind of crazy frenzied state and the anonymity Anonymity is about the individual user. It's about the individual user experience, whether that's you on the receiving end of an anonymous account saying something or you as an anonymous user. Tech platforms operate at the level of huge data sets. And at that point, individual user experience of anonymity, either way, like really doesn't come into it that much. But uh, sorry, don't you think that, that, I mean, what does come into it is, is 
user engagement. And the, the sad fact is that if you put stuff online uh, uh, saying how nice your cat is, and then you put something online being a racist attack on an England footballer, the second gets more engagement and you, you uh, and, and it generates more traffic. And so they get more data. I mean, that's that seems to me the, the real the heart, heart of the problem, because actually, if if everything on, you know, if everyone is well behaved on on social media and everyone is 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 very polite and it, no, nobody says anything nasty and everything's accurate and so on, it's not very interesting. Uh, and, and and what makes it interesting and what makes it valuable is is the kind of abuse that people engage in. But it's not just about how much time you spend on the platform. It's about whether you're buying anything because of the platform. If that beha- if all they're getting from behaviour is things that keep you on the platform but doesn't result in any consumer behaviour. Like they don't make any money. No, you like- don't buy things on the platform. They sell your data, and they can, the, the more data they have, the more they've got to sell. But your your data becomes valuable when, like, when it is shown that you also buy things. But at the same time, while you're engaging online, the whole time they're able to sort of see the things that interest you, things that change your mind. They are they're but, able to analyze your behavior. But that's not. Con- I would say that's not contingent on being anonymous. Like, is it of like no. you, they get this from anonymous accounts and non-anonymous accounts and from engagement with all kinds of things. I just don't. I just don't think anonymity is actually a huge part of this conversation. Is there something about anonymity which drives people to say some of the worst things, and that just drives even more debate? The problem is we all we're all secretly slightly. I mean, we find it almost appealing. We can't help but engage with people who are being vile because we're so outraged. Our outrage yeah. just feels even more. Yeah, violent. like you know, there's the you know getting caught down on like rabbit holes and the kind of the voyeurism of watching it. I just don't think. I just don't believe that this link is a strong, so strong that um, the companies would be like, oh, we're not gonna ban it because we make loads of yeah. money from it. Could, could I come in on one point? I mean, they, Twitter clearly is sensitive about anonymity and the harm done. Uh, you mentioned the football. So after the, uh, the penalty competition and our young players got a lot of racist abuse, Twitter immediately put out a press release saying 99% of the abuse came from non-anonymous accounts. Now, 90, they just overreached, didn't they? 99% is like, is North Korean levels of, of, of anything. So we knew if they'd said 75%, we might have been a bit troubled by that, but we knew that had to be wrong. So we thought, what do they mean by non-anonymous? Twitter says you have, you've opened the account and you've linked it to an email account or a phone number. So we set up an email account called mickeymouse at gmail.com and we used that to open a Twitter account. Then we went into a, a, a news agent, bought a five pound burner phone, used that phone number to open a Twitter account. Now, of course, both they would say that's verified because it's linked to an email address, it's linked to a phone number. They're incredibly sensitive about that. And I think it comes back to the business model suits them. Facebook's different. Facebook has a real name policy. The only question with Facebook is, do they really enforce their terms and conditions? But Twitter will allow you to have multiple accounts and they really don't care who you are. Also, just another point to make is that, so, if anything, I think it's that like we're kind of in an age of like privacy making places money. So Google talks about itself in ages. So we're just currently at the end of the age of automation and AI, and we're going into the age of privacy. Like Google sees where where users sort of think their data is being handled while they trust platforms and they're more likely to use things. Like I, I again, it's like because privacy and anonymity are not the same thing. Like I just yeah yeah I just don't see this link necessarily between anonymity and profit- profitability. Um, I'm very interested in, you know, uh, if if some of these policies were to be enforced, I mean, um, 
what Stephen's suggesting is kind of a halfway house. But if we were to go the full um, hog, if we were to ban anonymity, what would the internet look like, Q? For you, if, if you want anonymity banned, what does that, what does that halcyon vision? What, what, is, what, is it, what does it look like and, and how do people behave there? Well, it would, it make, or a it would make, it would be better, but more boring. Uh, it would be. It, it would, you'd have civilized, more civilized, more 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 measured, more uh, uh, well-behaved discourse. Uh, uh, um, that would be less exciting. Uh, uh, but 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 you know the excitement that we have at the moment comes at a price. I mean, when when you're going through. Twitter, you know, I see things that, that leap out at me, and and then, and then you you realise that the kind of account that that's coming from, and you you kind of slap yourself on the wrist and move on to the you know the Stephen Kinsella tweets, which are obviously very <laughs> r rational and reasonable, if you see what I mean. And so yes, a, 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 a de-anonymized internet, de-anonymized social media would be would be less raucous and less interesting, but you know, less people would get damaged. I mean, and, and, and I mean, something that we haven't mentioned, and we were going to have a woman who's been a victim of this on the panel originally, female MPs are subject to the most horrific abuse and, you know, women in public life, I mean, particularly in politics. I mean, it's basically driving them out. Although, you know, we've hugely increased the number of women in parliament over the recent decades, it will go into reverse if, if people can just be abused, you know, without any constraint on social media. Is there a danger that, you know, as you say, we are all slightly, we are, you know, we're somehow compelled to be involved when we see things going badly. Will people just use the internet less? Will they use these forums less? And do you end up with sort of less of um, uh, the exchange of ideas that you also get with? They might actually speak to each other. <laughs> Rather than shouting come, abuse, come to this kind of events and have, have you know, discussions rather than spending their times on their phones. That would be a very good thing. Victoria, doesn't that sound like a great thing? <laughs> what does what does the internet I, without anonymity look like for you? I think there's a bigger conversation here. Um, kind of coming back to this original question of like, what does a good web look like? Of like, I th I think there is a risk that in kind of setting up an internet where anything you say that breaches some rules can be traced back to you and they know exactly who you are. This is building the tools for, repressive, for the kind of internets that really repressive regimes want. Like, I think there is something really, really dangerous here. And I, and I say all this not wanting to downplay like, the chilling effect that anonymous abuse can have. Like, I totally, there are the topics that like, I really care about, but I will not post about on Twitter because I do not want to have to deal with anonymous abuse. And that's really bad like that is a chilling effect of freedom of speech and that is not good but i think our approach just can't be banning anonymity the world that we create where everything can be linked to everyone is the world that like we shouldn't be wanting it's the kind of internet that we shouldn't be wanting to have in a liberal democracy i just think we have to come up with creative more creative and better solutions to the rea like the really horrific reality of um online abuse but uh, for me just banning anonymity like is a distraction and in the end hurt more people. Stephen. Well, that, and, you know, I felt it was on us to try and come up with a solution because at the moment, those who were, do, who were defending anonymity weren't offering anything else. So uh, you mentioned, you know, Margaret Hodge, who, who might have been here. I've spoken to, spoken to Diane Abbott, who probably gets about 50% of, of, of all the abuse online. And that's what we need to look at as well, that the voices that are silenced, the people who are no longer on because they get crowded out. And also just how difficult it's become online. I mean, look, 
if if our proposal goes through, and I think it will, I, I could do with some tweaking and improving, but I think it will go through. Um, I probably won't use it, I because really? I'm, I'm a white middle-aged male who doesn't. I don't get abuse. I, mean, I, I never get any abuse. Um, Can be so I don't need it, <laughs> but to have that facility and to allow everybody else to have that facility to say why why because too often the platforms they say they say well it's all about media literacy just everyone needs to be more like you said needs to be more sophisticated they need to be able to sift what's real and what's false but we could give all of us some slightly better tools to to allow to to moderate what's thrown at us and then uh, then maybe we'd have time to read our replies very good point um Victoria, earlier you sort of said one of the, your concerns with this, the verification system that Stephen was putting forward was that it would come up with effectively a two-tier internet. Yeah. In a way, might that not be a good solution? I mean, it, what our problem at the moment is that the moment you go online, it's just the badlands. You know, you have no civilized space where you can just go and have a conversation without interruption from uh, anonymous abuse and everything else. Would it not be a, you know, not a bad solution actually to have? A place where you could go online and expect it to be like normal life <laughs> and if you wanted to go and find a forum where you could talk about certain concerns you know it'll be there somewhere and like i don't know if it's a dark web or that you know or like 4chan there will be other places where you can go knowing that those are specific spaces for people who want to be anonymous about certain things yeah i think i mean i think verification is a really interesting solution for some platforms i think if individual platforms choose to offer it then fine that's great and it, it, it will help in some ways but i think mandating that kind of it should be on every platform i and and acting like it's going to be more of a free choice to verify yourself than it actually is i think is slightly disingenuous and i think and again coming back to this idea of like how i think it could create false sense like false sense of security in there as well but you know if individual platforms want to offer it and then users know and if users have a real problem with verifying themselves like they don't have to be on those platforms and they can go elsewhere but i don't think being like oh it's on all the major ones but if you don't like it you can go to 4chan like i don't think that's a reasonable solution like i don't want to be directing anyone to 4chan like 4chan is an awful awful place and yeah and so yeah i'd say some but i just don't think it should be across all platforms I'm afraid we have completely run out of time, um, but thank you all for coming and thank you very much to the panel, Stephen, Victoria and Hugh. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy for Our Times. If you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe on your platform of choice and visit the iai.tv for hundreds more podcasts, videos and articles from the world's leading thinkers.